So ever since our first Christmas together, my spouse and I have been collecting Christmas CDs. Started out as one or two a year. Now it's not CDs, it's making playlists. Thank you, YouTube, iTunes, and all the rest. And we are equal opportunity Christmas music aficionados. You know, bring on the King's Choir in Cambridge. Oof, love it. But I'm also loving myself some Motown, Phil Spector, even a couple of the Chipmunks. <laughs> and I love that LA has a radio station playing Christmas music 24-7, pretty much from Thanksgiving all along. And I love singing along. But we've noticed over the years that, at least on the radio, the repertoire has gradually eliminated the more overtly religious Christmas songs. There's no more Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And part of that is there's been a near avalanche in the last dozen years or so of pop stars recording Christmas albums, and usually with one or two uh, new songs that they hope will be in the canon of things we sing all the time. And those are not religious. Virtually all the newer albums don't have sacred songs. Now there is one Jesus-centric one that is in heavy rotation, Silent Night. You might get some little drummer boy every now and then. But instead we have classics like It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. All I Want for Christmas is You. Please come home for Christmas. I actually like these songs. Instead of being grumpy in them about what I could call the deletion of Jesus, there are actually some themes in these secular songs that tie very closely to Advent. They're the ones about longing and waiting for joy, you know, chestnuts roasting over the open fire, or waiting for love, Reunion with loved ones. Celebration. How about it's the most wonderful time of the year? But I do have to say it's hard for me to appreciate the snowy ones. I'm not dreaming of a white Christmas. I don't want to let it snow. I am an avowedly non-snow California gal. And there is actually an L.A. weather Christmas anthem. It's called Christmas in the Sand, and it's really fun if you haven't heard it. <laughs> now, there's a newer song that's woken me up to some troublesome themes embedded in some of our Christmas music. It's a song called Joel the Lump of Coal <laughs> by the Killers. It has a fantastic animated video. Now, it's a story of this adorable little happy lump of coal. Now, growing up, he just longs to keep Santa and the elves warm, and especially to be a present one day for some lucky little girl or boy. He can't wait to hop in the sleigh and go play and snuggle warm at night with this little kid of the future. But when Santa calls him, you know what he discovers. He's the booby prize. He's headed for a naughty kid. And Joel cries the entire sleigh ride. 
And then when the poor child, the naughty little child, opens up the stocking gift and sees Joel, the boy cries too. And it hit me in a way I'd never thought of it before. The Santa that's sung in some of our songs is about a Santa with conditional love. You only get a gift if you're good. No love for anyone who errs and strays. So little Joel, for me, turned that song, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, on its head. Because that song isn't in any way, shape, or form the proclamation and promise of Jesus. Jesus, who loves everyone no matter what. Jesus, who welcomes everyone no matter what. And Jesus, who reached out to the unloved. Now, there is redemption at the end of Joel, so much so that the first time I saw it, I actually got tears in my eyes. And uh, this is a spoiler alert. Joel and his little boy, after drying their tears, decide to love one another. The two unloved decide to play together and be friends. And to completely give away the ending, Joel tells the boy to squeeze him really hard and Joel becomes a diamond. <laughs> and that is Jesus, our Savior, coming to us in a package that is not obvious, a poor little baby, but with pure light beyond our wildest dreams. So Jesus is way bigger than the Santa Claus of that song. Jesus has love for all. And there's another one, troublesome one I want to talk about this morning. And it's one that ties directly to Jesus and the nativity narrative. It's the song, Mary, Did You Know? And today's scripture answers that question very loudly and very strongly. Heck, yeah, Mary knew. Our gospel reading is about what happens right after the angel Gabriel tells Mary she's going to have a child. And the angel says, your child will be from the Holy Spirit, born of God and the Son of God. The angel said he will take on the throne of David, and that means, at that, that would have meant at that time and been understood, that the child would be the Messiah. So yeah, before the gospel reading we had today even begins, Mary knew she was bearing a Messiah. And the scene we read this morning is about Mary traveling to her cousin Elizabeth, who the angel had also come to and who is also miraculously pregnant. This is Elizabeth who will bear John the Baptist. And the moment Elizabeth and Mary see each other, Elizabeth's baby leaps in her womb. And scripture tells us she is filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaims, blessed are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Mary. And Elizabeth wonders, wow, the mother of the Lord has come to me. And we don't, we don't have a song, Elizabeth, did you know? <laughs> but yeah, Elizabeth knew too. And she's in awe. 
She blesses Mary for believing that there would be fulfillment of what the angel said and what was spoken to Mary by God. Now here's the kicker. Mary burst into what we call now the Song of Mary or the Magnificat. And we sang that right in between our two first readings. Mary sings this song, which is the greatest song in Scripture, and one we should be belting out all season. And it is all about what she knows. It's a show-stopping affirmation of who God is. It names God. And it's a show-stopping affirmation of God's activity in the world. As Mary knew from the angel, her child would be a Messiah. And there was something about this this combination of having heard from the angel and then heard from Elizabeth, this combination prompts Mary to put together what is happening to her right then and there, putting together what's happening with her with the bigger picture of who God is and God's power in the world. So Mary is much like the prophets of Hebrew Scripture, She's a theologian. She's proclaiming God from the past right into the present and with the knowledge that she's carrying the child, the Messiah. She's proclaiming God into the future. Her song has this extra layer of what Jesus' ministry will be. So she starts out with great praise. The words, my soul magnifies the Lord my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She sees God's gift and affirms that God's gift to her of this child is a sign of God's love to the lowliest of lowly. After all, she was a nobody. She wasn't one of the powerful people. And she sees this gift as one because it was given to her the lowliest. This is a gift that will inspire generations. And then Mary launches into praising the greatness of what God has done in history and what God can do. And it's a radical proclamation. And it goes way beyond the theme of how we can personally feel good and be saved by God's and Jesus' unconditional love. Because she sings about what happens when love, God's love, becomes alive in the greater world. What happens is social upheaval. Mary's is a dangerous song. It's a political and socioeconomic song. It's about bringing down nations, taking powerful from the thr- their thrones. It's about scattering the proud, the people who are so focused on self and not on others. It's about lifting up the lowly. She sings about feeding the hungry. And she sings, she concludes with singing about God's faithfulness through all time. That God has fulfilled the promise God gave to Abraham, Abraham's descendants, which reached through to her, which reached through to us, and to the descendants to come. So, yep, Mary really knew. Her song is theologically astute 
and an incredible condensation of our faith and of what Jesus will proclaim and do in his ministry, ultimately through the cross and resurrection. It will be redemption, salvation for all, radical justice. The enslaved will be set free. And we often romanticize Mary as innocent and wide-eyed. We uphold her faithful obedience. We picture her as a teenager. But in this remarkable song, we have Mary, who is incredibly intelligent and a theologian. And so much so that some contemporary scholars have asked, how much theological formation did she give Jesus growing up? We don't know what happened in all those years till he started his ministry. So this morning in the service, we actually have this song of Mary on repeat. We sang it already, the canticle, and you've got the words in your bulletin from between the first and second uh, readings. And before communion, we're going to sing a hymn, Tell Out My Soul, the Greatness of the Lord. The first lines of the Magnificat. And it's based on her praise. During communion, some of our choir will be singing another more modern interpretation of her praise. And I encourage you to go home and listen to as many versions of the Magnificat you can find. Scour YouTube, Spotify, and the like, whatever streaming service. And if you don't have that or know how to do that, find someone on Christmas or in the next few days who can for you. And listen. Listen to her praise. Listen to the tunes. Ask yourself, do any of them pull out this message of justice? How do they pull out this message of God's love? Listen to the arrangements, the words, the tune choices, everything, the harmonies, and absorb this incredible song. It is the greatest song of the season. This song is the promise of Advent. It's the promise that we sing today And it's the promise we will be celebrating tomorrow night and on Christmas Day with Christ's birth. So let us all go forth with Mary, singing the greatest song of the season. Amen.